You're listening to RTE Lyric Live. The opening bars of the Jeune Homme Concerto K271 in E-flat major, the ninth piano concerto by Mozart, written in January 1777, the month of Mozart's 21st birthday. It's with that work that, in a sense, you could say that Mozart's real career as a composer began. He'd made a huge international impression as a performer throughout his childhood and teenage years, showing his prodigious brilliance on violin and piano in concert tours right across Europe, which saw him entertaining princes, aristocrats and crown heads of state, including Louis XV of France and George III of England, and making two extended trips to Italy, the land of music itself. And Mozart had been writing all sorts of music as well, comic operas, violin concertos, serenades, symphonies. There had been early piano concertos as well, some of them arrangements of sonata movements by Johann Christian Bach and other composers. But with this concerto, something changed. For the first time, we can really sense Mozart owning the concerto form. But not only that, single-handedly developing the genre into something special. Looking back at the piano concerto genre over these past 250 years, we can probably say that it was Mozart who put it on its feet, starting with the jeune homme. Concertos in those days tended to begin with an extended orchestral introduction. Here, the piano soloist leaps in and answers the orchestra after its very first phrase. All the cadenzas and ornaments are fully written out, giving a very useful guide to that tricky topic of how Mozart expected his music to sound. And then there's that enigmatic title. The jeune homme of the title was no young man at all, but a young woman. And it's recently emerged that the mysterious Mademoiselle jeune homme was in fact Victoire Genamie, a touring French virtuoso and the eldest daughter of Mozart's friend Jean-Georges Novaire, Mozart probably met her and heard her play in Vienna, so by rights this is really the Genami concerto. As a female pianist, Victoire Genami wasn't alone. In fact, if you take a look at Mozart's early keyboard music, it's striking what an important role women play as commissioners, dedicatees and performers. This is something that the conductor Jane Glover explores in her interesting book called Mozart's Women, which is well worth a read. A few months before Mademoiselle Jeunhomme or Genamie came on the scene, Mozart wrote a concerto for three keyboards, K242, for the Countess Laudrone and her two daughters Aloysia and Josepha to play, followed closely afterwards by the C major concerto K246, which was intended for another countess, Antonia Lutzow, who was the wife of the Commandant of Hohenzalzburg, which in itself sheds an interesting light on Mozart's existence at the time. He was in the employ of the Archbishop of Salzburg's court, for sure, but giving music lessons to aristocratic ladies was also an important add-on to his income. Handy money for him, and, you'd imagine, immensely flattering for them. After all, who wouldn't want to be given piano lessons by the hottest young prodigy of the day? Sexual chemistry was another important factor, and Mozart didn't hold back when it came to flirting with his pupils. Although, as he was at pains to point out to his father, 
he never intended it to go any further, writing, If I had to marry all those with whom I have jested, I should have two hundred wives at least. One of his adoring pupils was Josefa Auenhammer, from a wealthy Viennese family. Mozart was really unkind about her in a letter home, saying, If a painter wanted to portray the devil to the life, he would have to choose her face. She perspires so that you would feel inclined to vomit, and goes about so scantily clad that really you can read as plain as print, Pray do look here. She is sérieusement in love with me. Was she really as bad as all that? Or was Mozart just trying to throw his interfering father off the scent? In any case, Mozart and Josefa Auenhammer did become really good friends. He dedicated a set of six violin and piano sonatas to her, and he wrote the Sonata for Piano Duet, K448, for them to play together. Mozart wrote plenty of music for two pianists to play at one piano, but this D major sonata, K448, is his only two piano sonata. And that in itself maybe says something about the status of the Auenhammer family. Not many homes had two instruments in the same house. On the other hand, maybe Mozart brought his instrument along specially. Pianos were lighter in those days, after all, and there are stories of Mozart's piano being hoisted out of the window of his apartments, ready to be carted off to his next engagement. Anyway, this is how that sonata, one of my own particular favourites, gets underway. To my ear, this is much more than just a piano work. It hints at brass fanfares at the start and gives way to a rich texture that two pianos can conjure up so much more easily than just one. There's definitely something symphonic about the way that this superb music unfolds. <laughs> Thank you. 
Mozart composed that two-piano sonata in the summer of 1781, he was a few months into a new chapter of his life, working as a freelance musician in Vienna. Having been increasingly dissatisfied with life as a court musician at Salzburg, Mozart had finally made the break, or indeed, the break had been made for him. By the spring of that year, when Mozart accompanied the Archbishop of Salzburg, Count Hieronymus von Colloredo, on a visit to Vienna, he was very much the rising star and a favourite with royalty and nobility all over Europe. For example, the day after he arrived, he gave a concert at the house of Prince Galitsin, a Russian diplomat, and then paid visits to some of his other many aristocratic friends and acquaintances. All this didn't sit at all well with Count Colorado. Although he was a forward-thinking archbishop in some ways and a keen music lover, he was determined to keep Mozart in his place, which was, quite literally, at the servant's table at mealtimes. Colorado couldn't bear to see Mozart ingratiating himself with the Viennese elite and banned Mozart from organising private concerts for his own benefit. After all, Colorado paid his salary, so shouldn't he have the benefit of all his performances? Push came to shove, and after a stormy meeting with the Archbishop, Mozart found himself booted out of his job, quite literally, with a sharp kick in the backside from the Archbishop's Chamberlain. At least then he was free to go and establish his reputation in Vienna, and the most glorious period of his adult career was about to begin. Set loose in Vienna, piano concertos were one of the first things that Mozart turned to as a way of generating income. In fact, of Mozart's 27 piano concertos, 17 date from that final decade of his life which he spent in Vienna. His first idea was to write a subscription set of piano concertos, K413, 414 and 415, and offer manuscript copies to the general public by advertising them in the newspaper. They could either be performed by large orchestra or just by strings a quattro. Four ducats would get you a hand-copied set of all three scores. That price was possibly a bit steep. There wasn't enough demand and he didn't get enough subscribers. However, another by-product of that time was a famous letter to Leopold, dated the 28th of December 1782, outlining his philosophy about these three concertos and perhaps his piano concertos in general. These concertos, he wrote, are a happy medium between what is too easy and too difficult. They are very brilliant, pleasing to the ear and natural, without being vapid. There are passages here and there from which the connoisseurs alone can derive satisfaction, but these passages are written in such a way that the less learned cannot fail to be pleased, though without knowing why. In 1784, Mozart had another go with a different business plan. Instead of trying to sell manuscripts to make money, he hired a private hall of the Tratnerhof in Vienna and put on concerts himself, showcasing his talents, with piano concertos being the main attraction. And this idea commercially clicked. 1784 was one of the real high points in Mozart's life. In terms of public appearances, he was extremely busy. Between the 26th of February and the 3rd of April that year, he gave 22 concerts, which in itself is quite amazing. And during that year, Mozart wrote some of his most magnificent piano concertos. Two were originally written for his pupil Barbara Ployer. Two were for his own concerts. They are both concertos to make you sweat, he told his father. And a fifth, 
the one in B-flat, K456, was written for Maria Theresia von Paradis, a blind pianist who toured Europe twice, though Mozart himself played the concerto too. His father Leopold was in Vienna for ten weeks at the start of 1784 and was there to hear Mozart play this concerto. It gave him every reason to be proud. In a letter to his daughter Nanel, yet another gifted female pianist, Leopold described it as a glorious concerto. I was sitting only two boxes away from the very beautiful Princess of Württemberg and had the great pleasure of hearing so clearly all the interplay of the instruments that for sheer delight tears came into my eyes. When your brother left the platform, the Emperor waved his hat and called out, Bravo, Mozart. Leopold's paternal heart bursting with pride there. And why not? This came just a day after Leopold had been taken aside after a string quartet playthrough by none other than Josef Haydn, who said the famous words, Before God and as an honest man, I tell you that your son is the greatest composer known to be either in person or by name. He has taste, and what is more, the most profound knowledge of composition. The outer movements of this concerto are light, delicate and playful. Mozart keeps the profundity for the concerto's central andante. It's in G minor, a key which for Mozart had special significance. He tended to use it to express dark and stormy moods. There does seem to be something especially poignant about the main theme of this movement, which gives way to a set of five variations. Thinking back to Mozart's earlier credo, it seems that while the outer movements of this B-flat concerto are for the general public, this G minor central movement is the one for the connoisseurs.
You're listening to RTE Lyric Live 